You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. If you had to sort of point the finger at one specific issue of why lithium has been on a tear, it all really starts and begins with Tesla and their performance. I'm Bill Powers, and this is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. If you want to engage the show, feel free to reach me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, if you're an avid listener, you know we focus the majority of our interviews on gold and silver, precious metals, mostly some copper, some uranium. And today we're going to be talking about a commodity that I haven't focused on in quite some time, and that is lithium. Lithium was hot, a hot commodity from 2016 through about the end of 2017 or possibly early 2018, but most of 2018 and 2019 was a terrible year for lithium and the lithium equities. However, I've been noticing that since the end of August of last year, 2019, the Global X Lithium and Battery Tech ETF is up nearly 45% in the past two or three months. Some of the lithium juniors have even been showing some life uh, with gains from 100 to upwards of 200% gains in the little juniors. So I reached back out to Chris Berry. He was on the show about two and a half years ago to talk about lithium. And he is the president of House Mountain Partners. He's an independent energy metal analyst and researcher. His website is discoveryinvesting.com, which I want to say is an excellent domain name. Really like that, discoveryinvesting.com. So, Chris, thanks for coming back on Mining Stock Education. And can you break down for us, why are some of these lithium equities performing better of recent? Sure, Bill, and and thanks for having me on. And look, I think that uh, there are probably a couple of reasons why um, you know the lithium names pretty much broadly from regardless of the market cap have been on a little bit of a tear first of all um, you know we'll get to Tesla in a second because that's kind of the 800 pound gorilla in this discussion but look it's the beginning of the year you're seeing a number of fund inflows into passive investment vehicles I think that that has and that has benefited the entire market um, but I think there's a little bit of that that's probably gone into some lithium names as well number two um, you know look in 2020 uh, the Chinese had planned on scrapping their subsidies for electric vehicle purchases. They have they have stopped that, they have halted that, and so it looks like for at least 2020, the subsidy regime, which continues to get tighter, by the way, um, the subsidy regime will stay in place. So that has sort of been a, a, a breather, I guess, a, a welcome breather to this market. Um, a couple of other things, of course, number, number three, just last week, Genfang Lithium, which is one of the uh, largest lithium producers in the world today, fully integrated uh, lithium producers. Actually, for the first time since around late 2018, has been talking about price increases for their hydroxide. So, you know, this isn't a situation where, you know, the knife is falling. Um, when is this going to end? I mean, I think the market market participants generally generally believe that. Look, we're at the bottom uh, from a pricing perspective when you look at the economics of of the lithium cycle, and uh, you know we may be in for a little bit of a turn here. I think you know coming back to your original question, if you had to sort of point the finger at one specific issue of why lithium has been on a tear, it all really starts and begins with Tesla. 
Um, and their, uh, I guess, performance, you know, this is a company that had done $2 billion in revenue not that long ago, now doing $25 billion in revenue. Uh, you know, look, in terms of full disclosure, I'm not long, I'm not short, I think, uh, of the stock. I think it's a fascinating story. Um, I would say that for, you know, the lithium names, the cobalt names, the graphite names to have success and to access capital to build out their projects, Tesla has to succeed because uh, they really are the non-Chinese sort of standard bearer for EV success and EV uptakes. So, you know, uh, it looks like, um, you know, look, you're just, you're not seeing a Tesla on the street uh, these days. It's not a rare occurrence anymore, depending upon where you go, they're, they're everywhere. And that's going to continue, I think, because the company has now, of course, opened its factory in Shanghai and is going to continue to ramp production um, over the longer term. And so I think those are some of the reasons why you've seen a shift in um, in lithium sentiment year to date. So for lithium speculators, should they be focusing more on Tesla's chart than the actual lithium price then? Well, I look, I, that's a great question. And I think I, I would focus more on lithium pricing uh, as opposed to Tesla's chart. I mean, Tesla's chart is just quite frankly nuts. I mean, usually when you see a stock like that, or not even like that, but regardless of market cap or size or even industry, when you see it go parabolic, usually there is mean reversion. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not here to predict that or say if or when that's going to happen with Tesla, but clearly on just about any valuation metric you look at, Tesla is is overvalued. Um, you know, the real bulls out there would probably argue that. But, um, you know, it, it's just really challenging. I think it's, a, it's up another $50 today as we sit here and chat. So $50 per share. You know, on the lithium pricing side, as I mentioned earlier, I do think that we're at the bottom here. So it's not that we're going to go through, you know, $6,000, $5,000, $4,000 lithium. Because when you get much below where we are today, around $7,000, $7,500 lithium, you know, multiple parts of the supply chain don't make money, okay? And so, you know, it's not a question of how much further do we have to fall. I really think we are at the bottom because, again, keep in mind that the, on the demand side, lithium demand is still growing at about 15 or 16 percent a year. That's around an, an additional 40 to 50,000 tons per year needed on the market. Um, so, you know, I think when you're looking at the companies, you want to look, you know, don't necessarily focus on Tesla's chart. I mean, that's obviously something you kind of can't take your eyes off of. But, you know, I, you certainly want to at least be aware of of the trend in pricing. It looks like we bottomed towards the, the end of last year. And, and as I mentioned earlier, if Genfeng's discussions and pronouncements are any indication, it looks like, you know, we may have turned a corner. But I think, you know, when you when you look at some of these companies, there were really two um, two factors that I look at, okay? Um, and I will just focus on lithium here for a second. But really, in terms of making it, right, in terms of getting into production, generating cash flow, I know that's that's always sort of the dream for a lot of these junior mining companies. But issue number one on the lithium side is you need to find those companies that have adopted what I call the partnership model. Uh, the lithium-ion supply chain, or the li just producing lithium, mining it and then refining it into battery-quality material, is enormously difficult. Okay, and there isn't one group or one set of of individuals that can really 
build the mine, build the concentrator, and build the conversion facility. We have seen uh, bankruptcies. We've seen all sorts of challenges with companies that have tried to do that. And so the junior mining company that you may or may not be looking at needs to find that intellectual firepower um, and also you know, the balance sheet strength, perhaps, to help the company grow and ultimately get into, into production. So issue number one is a partnership model. Issue number two is just a question of, of diversity. And when I talk about diversity, what I'm really getting at is geologic and geographic diversity. Uh, again, on the lithium side, you've got brines, you've got clay, you've got hard rock. They all have their own economics. They all have their own pros and cons. And, you know, just for me personally, knowing what I know about the lithium business and what I've seen over the last 10 or 15 years covering it, you know, those companies, unless you have a singular world-class asset like Greenbushes, which is co-owned by Tianchain Albemarle, you're really going to need to diversify your sources. And you've even seen the majors like Albemarle diversify. They've got hard rock, they've got brine, they've got a little bit of everything. And so, you know, that diversity of sources, both geographic and geologic, just gives you a nice hedge as, as the volatility kind of courses through the lithium market. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well capitalized, has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Chris, even with the increasing demand that you just lifted up uh, for lithium, I remember in the last few months seeing some analysts say that they see an oversupply of lithium due to increasing production through 2025. So you don't subscribe to that outlook? Well, I think 2025, you know, look, we this, this industry, when I say this industry, let's just call out the lithium ion supply chain is so dynamic and it's changing so fast that if we were having this interview a year ago, uh, we would have been making predictions and pronouncements about battery type and about the type of lithium that was expected to grow faster. And those have all changed in the course of a year. <clears throat> what I can say is that you know one of the reasons why lithium pricing has gone from, let's just say north of $20,000 a ton to where we are today is because of oversupply. OK, and and specifically uh, oversupply on the hard rock side. One of the things that, you know, I, I got wrong in terms of looking at the lithium market and making these sort of predictions around how things shake out is that, look, I thought that there would be much more trouble bringing supply on stream. It would be more expensive. It would take longer. Capital wouldn't be available. And what we have what we saw over the last couple of years was Western Australian hard rock producers were quite successful, okay? And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be or I wish ill will on any of these guys. But what has happened is you went from a situation where I think in 2015 you had maybe – or maybe 2016 you had three hard rock producing mines in Western Australia. And that ballooned to about seven in the course of a couple of years. 
And so you had all of this hard rock concentrate coming on market on the stream. Um, the, there was a bottleneck with respect to the conversion capacity inside China. It just wasn't quite ready, wasn't built out. And so, you know, that brought us to where we are today, which is a situation where you have roughly four months of global supply on an LCE, a lithium carbonate equivalent basis, kind of kind of sitting there, sloshing through this market, waiting to be gobbled up. Okay. And so the other issue is you also have existing producers, whether or not they're hard rock players in Western Australia or Brian players in South America that are adding supply to the market. Okay. So you, you still do need to see some retrenchment with respect to supply and more supply discipline before this market can balance itself out. I personally think that, you know, when you have a situation where Demand is growing at, uh, as I said before, you know, just take the SQM numbers, 16, 17% per year, around 40,000 tons. You know, you can start to do the math. You can say, okay, well, we've got um, maybe 90 or 100,000 tons of LCE in the market today. There's a certain amount that's being added to the market every month. How long will it take for those two numbers to equilibrate? given that supply, or excuse me, demand is increasing by 40,000 tons a year. So, you know, I think to kind of summarize this and put a bow on it, I think that, you know, look, 2020 is going to be a pretty quiet year uh, from a pricing perspective. I don't, you know, we're not going to go back to $20,000 a ton. And, and I hope we don't, because again, those parabolas always come back down to earth. But, you know, I think over the next couple of years, kind of the equilibrium price, in other words, the lithium price, the chemicals price that I'm comfortable with, where I think, again, everybody along the supply chain can generate a healthy return, is around $11,000 per ton. Okay, and today, depending upon where you are, it's anywhere from $8,000 um, upwards. And, you know, again, there are, I guess, spot or specific examples of product going into Japan and South Korea at higher prices. But, you know, that's those are all different sort of unique stories. So pricing will will rebound. I think it'll happen long before 2025. I just think that, look, there are so many eyeballs on this space right now that any sort of snap upwards in pricing and demand, I think people are going to take notice much faster than they have in the past. Chris, I have a twofold question. In light of what you've uh, just laid out, and I've asked previous guests this regarding copper and uranium as commodities, but when you have a, a more depressed commodity price and the developers, many could be considered uh, undervalued, is it worth speculating in an explorer that's exploring for lithium? Are they truly going to be rewarded for that discovery is the first part of the question. The second part is, where would be the safest bet? Would it be in the producers, the developers, or the explorers at this uh, point in time, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, look, you know, lithium, to answer your first question about explorers, you know, lithium is not rare. I think one of the things, one of the funny things that I've sort of, I keep seeing this, you know, year after year after year is whether or not you talk about cobalt or lithium or even rare earths. I mean, they're just not rare. What is rare, of course, on the rare earth side is is finding things in economic quantities and then the, the the refining and the purification process. And, you know, that some of those challenges are similar in lithium and, and cobalt as well. So, you know, given where we are in this capital cycle right now, given the fact that we're in an oversupply situation for lithium, I wouldn't think that an explorer would be, you know, an optimal, 
you know, whatever the whatever the financial phrase is, right? Like an optimal use of your capital. I wouldn't necessarily focus there. Um, the second part of your question, look, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a, I guess, a personal preference. I mean, some people would like companies like Albemarle, for example, that are in production and are ramping production. Uh, and also um, pay off a nice little dividend, okay? Um, I think, you know, look, when you talk about the junior mining space or the developer mining space, you know, a lot of people play this game for the torque and the torque and the share price. And those prices are, generally speaking, driven by the pricing of the underlying commodity. So given the fact that, you know, again, I keep coming back to this, but I think we're at the bottom with respect to lithium pricing, uh, maybe we've started to see the first green shoots of an upturn. Again, if Genfeng's uh, views hold, I think you probably want to be in the developer space. Um, and the reason is that a lot of those projects, look, they found the lithium. Generally speaking, they have de-risked it. They've de-risked their, their flow sheets and so on and so forth. And in some cases where, you know, capital has, has even been raised, it's you know, it's just a question of deploying it right now. So it's more of an execution story as opposed to, you know, oh, geez, I've, you know, I've got this huge deposit. Now I've got to go out and raise three or four or five hundred million dollars to compete in this oligopoly. So I think that the developers are probably the sweet spot right now. Chris, I live on the outer edges of Metro Detroit. And as I've um, traveled around Metro Detroit, I've only seen one Tesla charging station at a major shopping complex about 20 minutes from me. And in the years that it's been there, I've only seen one Tesla, at least when I went shopping there, one Tesla charging. However, I probably see more Chevy Volts on the road than I do Teslas, at least by my observations. Have you done any um, research or analysis into uh, General Motors, for example, or even Ford, one of the big three, and perhaps that they could take a lot of this market share away from Tesla and be even more efficient and profitable than uh, Tesla is? I think Tesla is pretty far ahead with respect to the technology and the battery technology. And that's their you know, that's their moat. That's their secret sauce. Um, you know, I, to to come back to your sort of, um, I guess, anecdotal evidence, right, around looking at superchargers and seeing who's there. I mean, I, I'm seeing, I live in New York, so maybe it's a little bit of a bubble. Um, but, you know, I spend a lot of time in between New York and Washington, D.C. on Interstate 95. And uh, just in the last couple of years, not only have there been more superchargers, and not just superchargers, but charging stations in general put um, you know, along the roads in, in rest stops, but you're seeing more and more cars, more and more Teslas in particular, um, at these charging stations, at these superchargers. So you know, it's kind of one of these slow transitions, but I, like I said before, you're starting to see more and more of it, and, um, and I think it's becoming more of a reality. In terms of how does GM or Ford or, you know, Peugeot or anybody compete with Tesla? I mean, look, you know, you're, I, I, again, anybody that I speak with, it seems like an electric vehicle is something that people are willing to try, willing to entertain, willing to consider. I do a lot of public speaking and even with um, some of the clients that I work with, you know, I'll ask them, okay, how many people in this room own an electric vehicle? And especially if you go to a lot of these battery metals conferences, you know, you'd think you'd have kind of a captive audience and maybe there'll be a hundred people in the audience and maybe like three or four people 
will raise their hand. And that, to me, is is a real surprise. I just think that EVs haven't taken off. I mean, it's partially a cost issue, to be sure. I mean, battery pricing continues to needs to continue to fall, and it does. But I just think a lot of people haven't been behind the wheel of you know the Jaguar I-Pace or a Tesla or um, you know any one of these other models that continue to come to market. So I actually think over the next couple of years. You're going to see a lot more EV choice on the market, and it's. I'm not sure if it's going to um, harm Tesla or not, because again, I think that they're pretty far ahead with respect to just the battery technology and and kind of the consumer comfort level around around the cars overall. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine Project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface. One grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton. Yes, that's right. Ounces, not grams. Silver One has tremendous exploration potential, is extremely leveraged to the price of silver, and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Internal combustion engines need uh, catalytic converters so that the exhaust is not as harmful to the environment. And two of those metals that are included in catalytic converters have been going parabolic this year, that being palladium and rhodium. Do you have any thoughts on the future demand for metals like these as it relates to being used in catalytic converters? Well, I you know I haven't done as much work on those as I have on yeah, the lithiums and the cobalts and the rare earths, but. You know, look, even if we let's just say we go out to 2025, all right, five years from now, and um, electric vehicles are 10 percent of the global fleet. OK, that still means that 90 percent of the global automotive fleet runs on an internal combustion engine, some sort of an internal combustion engine, which would, I think, um, underline the point that demand for palladium, demand for rhodium, you know, it's not going away. It's not going to go to zero. Um, and so, you know, I, again, I, looking at the chart for rhodium, for palladium, I, y- you get awfully nervous when you see them go parabolic and you start to wonder why. Is it um, people playing with the market? Is it manipulation? Is it hoarding? Or is there an actual sort of sea change or shift here in terms of, of mobility? I think, you know, it probably requires a lot more, certainly a lot more research on my part. I'm not terribly sure but you know when i see those charts go parabolic i get really nervous and um prepare quite frankly for some sort of a fall chris as we conclude uh, what other battery metals investing opportunities are you liking right now you know i've spent a lot of my time over the last couple of years uh looking uh, a little bit further downstream and so i think that what I'm most excited about or most optimistic about are um, some changes in battery chemistry Okay, and also battery recycling, uh, lithium-ion battery recycling. I'm actually an advisor to a privately held battery recycler in Canada, so that's given me a real 
window in terms of how do the OEMs, how do the cathode manufacturers, how do these downstream players all think about recycling? Do they care? And they do. I can I can confirm for you uh, because you know having a closed loop and a recycling kind of view really helps burnish their green credentials. And of course, on the regulatory side of things. Um, you know, the EU in particular is not going to allow a Volkswagen or a Daimler to just landfill or, you know, hide these batteries somewhere when they get to the end of their useful life. So I think that, you know, over the next few years, uh, recycling is going to become a bigger deal. The economics are changing because the technology in terms of how we recycle these batteries is becoming more robust. So this isn't just going to be a story where, oh, you know, these batteries are at 60% of their capacity. So we'll just ship them to China and China can do whatever they want. I mean, I think you're going to see a whole recycling ecosystem evolve outside of China. And that's quite frankly, what a lot of, a lot of players in the supply chain want. They don't want to be as reliant on China as they, as they can. And then secondly, I talked earlier a little bit about, uh, battery technology. Again, I don't come at this from um, the the purview of a scientist. I'm definitely not, but I do think that you know this idea of doing more with less and minimizing uh, our, our dependence on critical materials like cobalt in batteries. It's important today, and it's going to continue to be important, even though you're seeing situations where you know companies are minimizing cobalt in the batteries, we're still going to be using a lot, lot more of it over the next, say, five to 10 years. And so, you know, a company that I have followed for a long time and actually just had a really successful fundraise is called Nano One. Um, I think they're on the Venture Exchange and the ticker is NNO. And they have a really interesting technology around uh, cobalt-free cathode technology. So it's one that I've watched for a couple of years. I know the management really well. I've seen the pilot plant. They've got a great group and a great, um, I guess, uh, set of relationships downstream as well. And I think that a company like that is arguably um, integral to the future growth of this overall EV business and EV supply chain. Again, it's all about being able to do what we do more efficiently and do more with less, especially as you know ESG starts to become a bigger factor as well. You've been listening to Chris Berry. He is the president of House Mountain Partners. He's an independent energy metals analyst and researcher. Again, his website is discoveryinvesting.com. And you can go to that website if you'd like to get in contact with Chris. There is a Contact Us page right there if you'd like to get in contact with Chris. Chris, I appreciate you coming on Mining Stock Education today and sharing your insights. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant 
with that. If you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.